It's not pre-season anymore. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast, 1-24 to 24 league table prediction for the championship season 2019-2020. Uh, I am Ali Maxwell. Alongside me, George Ellick. It's the fourth year that we've done these and... It just signifies the start of the season for us every year. So thank you for tuning in. So many people have been giving their own views and it's time for ours. George, we're buzzing to get going. So excited for Friday night when the first game kicks off at 7.45. And we've got a special sponsor for these 1 to 24 podcasts. Yes. Hi, Ali. Uh, yeah, very happy to have uh, Fitstairs sponsoring these podcasts. They're going to be sponsoring the championship the League One and the League Two podcast. If you don't know who Fitstairs are, they are a bookmaker. So if you go to www.fitstairs.com, you can see all about um, who they are, what they do, and you can sign up to an account there as well. Um, so very happy to have them on board. Of course, this isn't specifically a betting show, um, but what we're going to do just as we're running through our 1 to 24s, just give you a couple of odds here and there. So if you agree with us, you can make the most of it. So thanks very much to Fitstairs for sponsoring these three podcasts. Very exciting. Look, we could do 10 minutes on every single team, George, but that is not how we do it uh, in these 1 to 24s. We're going to aim for an hour, maybe under if we can. But if you feel like we're lacking a bit of detail, please let us know on Twitter at NTT20pod. We're keen to discuss further, but without further ado, let's get into it. And sadly, we go from bottom to top so that we keep everyone right to the end. But it does mean we have to start with some bad news. And 24th place, at George, in the Championship this year, we've got Charlton Athletic. And it's, it's kind of with a heavy heart, isn't it? It's only a few months ago we were discussing Charlton as a League One team that grew into themselves throughout the season. And by the end of the season, were basically right up there with Barnsley and Luton uh, as top, top League One teams. But what's transpired over the summer, I think, is, is kind of where we're coming from here in terms of why we think it's going to be difficult for them. Yeah, Charlton are joint favourites relegation alongside Barnsley at 21 to 10. And it's fair to say that we probably think that's fair enough. Um, it's difficult, this, because there's a lot to like about Charlton, which isn't normally what you say about a team um, you're tipping to, to finish bottom. Uh, they were very impressive towards the back end of last season. We were both at Wembley and saw the incredible good feeling that um, Lee Bowyer and Johnny Jackson have cultivated at the Valley. Uh, their fans were incredible that day. And it felt, given the, the difficulties they've had um, with the owner, Duchatelet, um, it felt like something of a corner had been turned, but uh, you're looking at the outgoings in the summer. Um, Christian Bielik has gone back to Arsenal, uh, who won't be returning. Um, Joe Rebo has gone to, to Rangers. Um, Cullen's gone back as well. I mean, there's just a few players in there that were so important. Patrick Bauer, who scored the goal, one of the goals at Wembley as well, um, has moved on to Preston. So there's a lot missing from that from that team that came up. Um, you think about losing Carlin Grant in January as well. Um, not a massive loss, but even people like Josh Parker, who started at Wembley, he was released at the end of the season. So it's a very different looking team. And you look at the centre midfield options now, the likes of Darren Prattley and Jake Forster-Kasky aren't really going to be um, able to step into the shoes that Bielit, Cullen and uh, Anaribo have left. So there are a couple of positives. I'm a massive fan of, of Chuck Sineke and I think he deserves his chance at championship level. I think he was very, very good for MK Dons last season and, and really shouldn't have been playing in League Two. And Macaulay Bond's a player I'm excited to see, um, someone who scored a lot of goals for Leighton Orient in the conference the last couple of years, the National League, I should say. Um, so there, there are reasons to, to like them. There are reasons to really respect what Lee Bowyer um, especially is doing at Charlton. But it just feels like they're one of those teams, a bit like Rotherham last season, where they could have an unbelievable season and really fight well, 
but still get relegated. Yeah, there was plenty of drama at the beginning of the summer, wasn't there, in terms of Boya's new contract. It looked for a while like the owner, who, as we know, is very unpopular with Charlton fans, with us, with general football fans. It looked like he was going to drop the ball and let Boya leave. And then when he saw the reaction, it seemed like he, he kind of had to make the decision to keep him. So that's clearly a positive for us. Um, but as you say, they lost so much quality, so many important players in that diamond formation. It looks like they're going to continue with the same thing because there's really no wide options to speak of at the club. So we're expecting a 4-4-2 diamond formation. And in terms of striking options, you touched on Anike Bon, uh, Lyle Taylor, their absolute talisman up front. That looks like a strong depth chart at that end of the pitch. I guess it's just the rest of the pitch that I'm a little worried about. So in signing Osha Larger and Tom Lockyer, again, League One players who we think could step up to the championship, but we're not sure. We haven't seen that proven. We don't know. Uh, keeping Johnny Williams is a good bit of business. But as you guys can tell, we both think it's a very big step up. And uh, I just don't think they can quite carry on where they left off, where they were so good uh, in the last month or, well, in the last sort of five months of the season. So um, Bo is doing all he can, but with con continued uncertainty off the field, the takeover that looks like it, it will never come. Although we keep our fingers crossed and we keep touching wood uh, is Charlton in 24th. George, as we go through these, there's going to be picks Obviously, because we are individuals as we are well, two people, as we are, people as, may not know. as well as a collective, there are going to be picks where one of us feels a bit more strongly about the other because we had to go through our own 1 to 24s and sort of crunch them together to make our NTT 20 1 to 24s. So let's get into one early on where we didn't necessarily fall on, on the same side of the fence. Um, and there aren't too many of these, but it's Wigan in 23rd for us. Um, what was it that, that made you have them quite confidently in your bottom three? I've got massive concerns over Wigan um, this coming season. I think they surprised me in how poor they were um, last season. They came up from, from League One as one of the most impressive teams we've seen uh, in League One for a long time. And I thought under Paul Cook, they had a manager who would help them to kick on, but that just wasn't really the case. Um, a really, really poor mid-season blip, really, from, from the end of October through to, to January of just one league win. Um, and a lot of losses was, was really poor and they didn't really recover from that um, except for three wins in the last four games of the season of course that famous win at Ellen Road um, putting pay to Leeds' chances of, of promotion at that time but um, you know since they've it's one of those squads where you'd hope they'd build upon that promotion squad but it's just slowly unravelled really I mean we saw Will Grigg leave for £4 million to, to Sunderland despite the fact that he's someone who has struggled since making that move you can't deny how important he was at one stage to this Wigan team. And you're looking at Callum Lang to step into some big shoes there. Um, Joe Garner hasn't really done it so far. Then you think about Nick Powell, who we spoke in, in, in the same breath as, as Bradley Dack just, you know, eight or so months ago, who, um, who's now moved on as well. So they're, they're losing that creativity. And they barely stayed up last season, if mm. we're going to be honest. I mean, they were never really that much in trouble. Um, but at the same time, they ended up just a couple of points outside the relegation zone. And, and I see no reason from the, from the business they've been doing this, this summer. Um, I see no reason given the, the financial constraints of the club. I mean, they finished on 52 points last season, um, which, you know, is a fair, fair bit away from the relegation zone. But with three or four games to go before I mentioned, they were, they were right down there. And I don't see any reason why you can predict them to, to build on that 52 points. I think that's a little bit of a false position, as I say, because of those last four games. Um, and... There's just I don't see where the goals are going to come from. I don't think it's a particularly deep squad um, in terms of, of the, their defensive options as well. 
Um, and I can't really see where it's going to improve. So, I, I, yeah, I, I think that it's going to be a really tough, tough ride for them. And given, you know, we saw at the back end of last season, Paul Cook saying it was a massive achievement of them to stay up. You feel like that's, that's a bit of self-PR here. And um, he's one of those managers I could see being under pressure very quickly if things don't improve. So I'm pretty concerned about Wigan. Um, and I think 23rd may seem harsh. I'm sure their fans will disagree. But, um, but I think a long season is in store. And, and in 22nd, I mean, it wouldn't be the not the top 20, 1 to 24s unless this team was somewhere <laughs> beginning with a 2. So uh, I'll let you take on this one and it's Reading. Yeah, we've got Reading in 22nd. And I think the, the, the place to start here really is there is an imbalance to this squad. Uh, this is a team a bit like Wigan, but even more so, who really flirted with relegation last season and for much of the season looked like they would be dropping down to League One. And when Jose Gomsch came into the club, uh, he did manage to inspire a revival of sorts and a bit like Paul Clement the season before, managed to, in the short term, uh, get results. And that was key in keeping them up. A little dig deeper into the numbers uh, and it'll show you that the performances and in terms of the, the balance of play and chance creation, still not particularly good under Jose Gomez. And that's not necessarily a knock on him because in such an intense environment where you're trying to stay up, you, you can completely understand that's not the time to start ripping everything up and trying to become this lovely possession, high press, chance creating machine. So he did his job in the short term. I just have some question marks still about whether he can get those performances to improve because I'm not sure that the squad is in the best shape for him. Um, there really have been few incomings this summer. Uh, they're another team, uh, one of many really, who have had to really cut their cloth accordingly uh, and, and haven't been very active in the transfer market. They're trying to get a few players out of the club because they've got so many wingers and strikers especially, who a lot of whom they just don't want and who are kind of taking up space and they're struggling to shift. A lot of their other wingers and strikers are very young. So it's at the top of the pitch that I'm worried. I don't see this Reading team scoring a lot of goals uh, in the state they are now. They haven't got a huge amount of midfield depth with Jonathan Swift and Andy Rinomota, who we like a lot. Uh, outside of them, it's Charlie Adam and David Myler, who I think, to be honest... I don't think either of us are particularly keen on. So. Well, I, th I think if we were going to do a segment on the worst signings of the summer, my number one would be Charlie Adam. So. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, look, uh, Liam Moore and Matt Miazga outwardly look like a very good centre-back pairing. I'd like Yeah Dom at right-back as well. So there's half a team that I like, but outside of that, for me, uh, it's all a bit unclear. So uh, they won't thank me for bringing this up, but you know, the season before, Paul Clement came in, kept them up with some passion and heart and desire uh, and, and pretty poor XG numbers and kind of similar things last year with, with Jose Gomez. So we're tipping them up to be 22nd because we don't think they've improved that much this summer. Uh, and that's a big concern for us, given that they were down there last season. Um, above the relegation zone in 21st position, George, Luton Town, the League One champions from last year, uh, having achieved back-to-back -back promotion. Um, but we're... Well, we're certainly predicting a relegation battle if we've got them in 21st. We are, yeah. I mean, it's not that relegation battle, just the, the three teams we've got in the drop zone, um, Charlton 21 to 10 to, for relegation with Fitzstairs, uh, Reading 14 to 5 and Wigan 3 to 1. Fair to say we wouldn't put you off any of those three. Um, Luton, this is really tough because, I mean, we live by the data and they were quite clearly far and away the best team in League One last season. Sometimes we die by the data. I mean, I'm sure one day that will probably happen, um, especially after Sunderland fans find out where we put them in League One. But uh, but it's um, 
they were yeah, they're the best team in, in League One. They lost Nathan Jones in uh, in January, and it didn't really seem to affect them. They they marched on to the title with relative ease, um, and they've kept the crux of their squad together. So why, I hear you ask, um, have you put them in 21st position? And there are a few reasons. Uh, firstly, the loss of James Justin and Jack Stacey just cannot be underestimated. These are two guys, these were two Premier League footballers, probably future international footballers, playing, in league, playing League One football with the complete freedom of both of their flanks. And having that, I mean, I think once people really get to grips with how good these two guys are, it's going to seem absurd that they were playing in League One um, <laughs> for that season and, and, and League Two the year before. So losing those two is, is a massive loss to them. Um, and keeping the rest of the squad together is, of course, important. But then continuity was the key after Nathan Jones left. Um, and I think Mick Harford spoke about it a lot, where he said that his role was purely just to keep the ball rolling. And Graham Jones has come in for his first managerial job, a, a, a clearly a coach with a lot of a lot of respect. And rather than, except for the, the surname of the manager, that's pretty much the only continuity we're getting here in terms of the recruitment that we've seen come in. Um, Brennan Galloway is the one that could be the diamond in the rough, I guess. He's yeah. a guy who at Everton um, was very highly thought of, had a couple of really shocking loans, but is it of that ilk? He's athletic, he's quick, he can get down the flank and he could be someone who could step into the role. But it's, it's the other signings that I'm concerned about. This team didn't need experience, I don't think. This whole, the swashbuckling style came from a lack of fear and just an ability to do things their own way. And you know, Martin Craney's come in from Sheffield United, 32 years old. I can't see him being an asset to them, whether it's a centre-back or on the right-hand side. Callum McManaman is a player at 28 who I think um, was a hype player who has been found out now for being exactly that and, and for all his directness. I just don't think he's a particularly good footballer. Ryan Tunnicliffe is a player who's floated around a few championship clubs and I think Millwall were happy enough to see him go. Millwall, a team who, who um, Luton should be aiming to finish above this season. These are all fairly journeyman players and they're, they're Jones's players. So therefore, I'm sure they're going to be players who are going to come into this to starting lineup at the expense of people who deserve it more. So I know you didn't uh, mention club record signing the goalkeeper Sluger, who I'm going to call Slugger. Uh, and sounds like he, he probably should be playing baseball Simon rather than Slugger. football. Um, who, I, I mean, that was probably an area of the pitch where they did need improvement. Look, I, I, I completely agree with everything you've said. I think it's a big step up, even for a lot of the players who sort of were in that squad last season. You spoke about two of the obvious ones with Premier League quality. Um, a lot of the players who performed in that system and what a system it was, they might be the sort of players who were... Who, whose performance levels were raised as being part of that team and who possibly in the championship um, might struggle a little bit more because it is a step up. Um, but yeah, as you say, Graham Jones has to be a question mark. We don't know how good or, or not he might be. Looks like he's going to stick with the diamond though at this early stage, which is certainly quite interesting. Uh, look, let's go up to 20th and Birmingham City. Um, it's been a pretty chaotic summer to some extent. In the sense that Gary Monk, who took them in our eyes to a, a very respectable finish with the squad he had at his disposal last season, um, obviously with a, a points deduction as well, which made sure that they were safe, but not much more. Uh, and he has left the club under somewhat of a cloud. 
Um, a, a few different stories flying around, shall we say, and replaced by his assistant manager, Pep Clotet, formerly of Oxford United, someone that you know uh, very well from his time at Oxford and someone whose pedigree in terms of what he did at Oxford, you're not so sure about. We've spoken on, on previous podcasts and we'll get your view on him in a second. Let me just talk about some uh, worrying departures, though. Essentially, the two most technical and flair players they had uh, well, one in Hotter, who went to Aston Villa, and the other in Che Adams, who got so many goals as well. Another Premier League quality player in the EFL. Um, Djukovic stays, and he's key to, to anything, both as a foil and as a goal scorer as well. Not prolific, but a, a, you know, a good attacking player. And uh, it's, it's, it's sort of... <laughs> I'm a bit concerned about the defence, put it that way. I'm concerned that Clotet, as a coach... I'm just worried that he's not going to be able to get a, a solid enough defence out of the players he has at his disposal, including Lee Camp, uh, who was the first-choice goalkeeper last season. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he is again this season. I think he's a fairly disastrous goalkeeper at this level. The interesting thing is, because I had them even lower than this, George, I must say, and I was really worried about them, two potential gems have come in in the last week, and that has really bumped them up a few spaces. It makes their midfield look suddenly a lot more palatable than it was when we thought it was going to be Craig and Gary Gardner running around booting people, is that they've got Dan Crowley, young English talent, uh, who seems to be settled and, and wants to fulfil that talent now after a tough few years going out on loan. He thrived in Holland, uh, and I think he could be a real focal point for their attack. Brilliantly creative, great passer of the ball. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And also... Um, Sunjic, the Croatia under-21 captain, big lad at the base of midfield, really highly rated from Croatia, reportedly 7 million euros as well. So the money's back in, that's for sure. Uh, and certainly in midfield terms, they look to have improved. But I'm a little worried up top. I'm pretty worried at the back. And in Clotet, it's fair to say, someone that you're going to want to see plenty out of before you consider him to be a, a good enough manager at this level. Yeah, I'll touch on all three. Um, Sunjic could be superb. I mean, it's hard to be pessimistic about his ability, given his pedigree. But if you gave someone with a bit of nous 7 million euros or 7 million quid to improve this squad, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't spend it all on one holding midfield player. Because um, there's a lot of work that needs on it, that needs doing on it. Um, you've lost Shea Adams. I, I don't see where the goals are going to come from in terms of replacements. It just doesn't seem like a particularly clever way of spending the cash. If Sunic is fantastic, what's his resale value? Uh, holding a fielder from the championship. I mean, not loads, 10, 12 million. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to make a lot of money out of this. So, um, uh, yeah, he'll, he, I'm sure he'll improve them and it's a big, big signing. But just in terms of the logic and the business side of it, I, I'm not sure I totally get it. Um, Crowley is a player who played at Oxford's, um, who was very immature when he played there. His technical ability um, was undeniable. Um, but his petulance and attitude was, was questionable. It seems like he may have got that sorted out in, um, in Holland. And definitely, I mean, if, if he has, then, then there's no denying that the Birmingham have got themselves a very, very talented player um, who will suit Clotet's style of football, which is very possession heavy. Um, and I have a feeling, you know, despite his, his passing stats in Holland not being up to a, a great deal, I'm pretty sure they'll, they'll shoot up quite quickly um, if Clotet stays in the job for a while. Um, but you and I both like to follow managers um, and, and have good belief that managers, um, by doing so, you can have some predictive value and how their teams are going to do. And, and Pep Clotet was out of, his, out of his depth, sadly, when he was in charge of, of Oxford. Um, as a coach, he has a massive reputation and everyone who works with him says that he is a brilliant, brilliant coach. Um, but his man management skills and the way that he dealt with, with even the media 
um, and certain players left a lot to be desired at Oxford. And from what I've seen early on, I'm not convinced that there's been a, an admittance either from Clotet's people or Clotet himself that he was ever at fault for that, which spells trouble. Um, and a couple of interesting signings from Spain today suggest that things may not really have changed. It's like the Spanish regional leagues almost, weren't they? Yeah, um, and one of, someone tweeted us being like, yeah, but you know, he's not going to be on the bench. I was like, yeah, that's an issue. If you've got a manager signing players from Spain who aren't even going to make your bench, what's going on? Mm. Like, this is this is a little bit dodgy. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm not too convinced about Pep Clotet. But let's talk about another new manager, um, a more familiar face than, than Clotet to, to most people in, uh, in Mark Warburton, who's taken over at QPR. And we have QPR in at 19th. Yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are here, George. I certainly had them lower as of about 48 hours ago, but some late additions in the window look to have given them a few more options where they needed them. I'm talking about Jordan Hugill up front. Certainly the jury's still out on him from my point of view in terms of being a, a prolific goal scorer at this level, but he does offer plenty aside from goals uh, where other strikers who may be more prolific don't. So I, I can see him bringing others into play. And there's plenty of good midfield options for him to bring into play. Obviously, Eberi Easy is someone that we think, if he really puts together a, a good run, uh, uh, could, could essentially be the player that we're talking about moving to the Premier League in six or 12 months' time. Um, and just looking at the absolute depth of, of central midfield options that they have now, from bringing in Jeff Cameron, uh, Matt Smith uh, on loan from uh, Man City, Luke Amos, everyone seems to be very excited about from Spurs, who's a, a, a brilliant young central midfield player, but they've still got Luongo, they've still got Josh Scowen, um, they've got Ilias Chair obviously coming back from a really impressive loan spell at Stevenage, who we, who we hope will see some game time. Um, and, it, uh, and at the back, again, that, that's where I was really worried, um, was that they would be really, really leaky at the back. I'm still not fully convinced, but they've at least brought in uh, some numbers, shall we say. So, look, I think that the, yeah, a bit like with Hugo, the jury's out for me with this team. 48 hours ago, I was way more worried than I am now. Um, and I think the position that we've got them in 19th more or less reflects that. So wouldn't be surprised if they get dragged into it. But I think we're both quite keen to give Warburton uh, a, a chance. He hasn't always had it easy in some of his recent jobs. But I think there's enough there for me to think that he could make this team possible, shall we say. And I was pretty worried about that. Um, we've got Sheffield Wednesday in 18th. And big reason for that. They don't have a manager, as we record. Yeah, I have been baffled by seeing... I mean, I understand that the Bruce Newcastle Transiri argument has led to, I guess, a renewed sense of pride from Sheffield Wednesday in, in, in their own club and the way their owner dealt with it. But in other people's 1-24s who've had Sheffield Wednesday a fair bit higher than us, there have been Wednesday fans seemingly without irony, saying that they are convinced they're in for a top six finish. They can't believe that people uh, are putting them down for such a low finish. And I just can't understand where this is coming from because the back end of last season was quite clearly great. And Yosla Hukai, um, you know, was a fairly disastrous manager. It's now quite easy to see that. But Steve Bruce has left and the season starts on Saturday and, and Lee Bullen is, is taking charge of the first game and, and we have no idea who's going to be taking on the job longer term and a lot of talk that all the all the people on the shortlist at the moment are foreign managers without much of a 
much of experience or any experience in English football, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you look at the managers who have been hired recently, the likes of Lahuka, and you have to wonder if the selection process is particularly clever. You look at who's come in. I mean, Odebarjo is a fine signing. Kadeem Harris is an okay signing. We don't know much about... players, I would say. Exactly. And there's just a a massive lack of, of, of quality in the team. I mean, Adam Reach, we've spoken about lots before, where he's someone who can obviously light up a game um, with his fantastic left foot, but realistically flatters to deceive. Uh, Fernando Forestieri doesn't look quite like the player he used to be. You know, there's a glut of strikers there who've been stockpiled for a long time who haven't really done it for a long time as well. So, And you've got to feel like half of them that they must be trying to ship them out. We can tell from their transfer activity over the last 12, 18 months that they have been under a soft embargo. I believe that's been lifted now, but even so... You know, if you're going to look where, you know, where your wages are going, you're going to look at some of those strikers and think, well, we can't play them all. Uh, but they seem to be finding it very hard to shift them. So, I, I mean, I agree with you. I think that we, we've been saying for a year or two now, like, look, if you look on paper, there are lots of recognisable names. There are lots of players who have been good at this level before. And maybe there'll be a manager who can put all that together, get everyone focused and, and playing, you know, keep them fit is, is half the job as well. Uh, and you get a decent team out of them. And in Bruce's 14 league games, which is a very small sample size, we saw that they could operate uh, in, in a pretty good way. So I think there's some talent there, but it's very difficult at this stage when we don't know who's going to actually manage them to, to sort of predict whether it might be someone who could take them into the top half, which is feasible, although not, not necessarily a given, um, or whether they might struggle to start the season given the mess that Steve Bruce has left them in. So... Um, they are in 18th for us, in 17th, uh, the team who I think are favourites for relegation in, uh, in Barnsley. We've got them way higher than that. Yeah, joint favourites with Charlton, who we have bottom at 21 to 10 with Fitzstairs. Uh, I think we have a lot of faith in clubs that are run the, the right way. Um, and there are, to me, look like huge similarities between the way that Barnsley run and the way that Brentford are run and I think if anyone is listening to this who who works at Barnsley they probably wouldn't be too surprised to hear that um and they have there's no denying the difficulty that Barnsley have in losing some key players Ethan Pinnock has gone to Brentford um we've also got Adam Davis who's left the club and Liam Lindsay that's left the club and, and those are huge holes to fill and we're not going to sit here and pretend that we know much about the guys that have come in um the young guys Bambo Diaby uh, Madge Shuela Anderson and then Apohar maybe we've seen a bit of for Leeds but realistically we, we can't sit here and say that they are um, going to be good signings but what we can say is looking at the general recruitment of a team like Barnsley they normally get it right and therefore we can be pretty confident that these guys are going to be are going to be decent players uh, Daniel Stendhal is a coach that I think you can have great faith that he will turn um, he'll get the utmost out of these players and have them playing a style of football that's that suits them um, last season, they were, for, at times, basically unplayable in, in League One. They had some bizarre blips, which maybe prevented them from, from kind of winning the league. But at the same time, they really were fantastic. And getting Kiefer Moore back from injury will be huge. Corley Woodrow really came into his own at the back end of last season. Connor Chaplin's come in, which is an exciting signing. Luke Thomas could be a player that could really burst onto the scene this season. We often see, I mean, if you look at Wigan and, and Blackburn last season, Blackburn progressed from from that season and had a very comfortable mid-table finish and, and there isn't much between those two teams I would say from Barnsley coming up um, yes there are concerns about about the players that have left but at the same time there's seems to me to be easily enough 
um, about this squad to, to ward off relegation. I think my, my just immediate concern is that with a new central defensive pairing, whoever it may be, and with the new goalkeeper as well, as much as we do believe that they will have been recruited because they're talented and good young players, uh, I would just worry that it's going to take them a while. It's a, it's, a, it's a system that's played at a very high tempo and a system where the centre-backs are often exposed, shall we say, because the midfielders attack well, they get forward in numbers. And my concern in the short term is that to start the season, there might be some teething issues. To start the season, their defence might be not nearly as strong as it was last season. And you just hope that if that is the case, if they do have a tough start, that things will improve over the course of, of, of the season and you know maybe by a few months in they'll be ready to go. But certainly plenty of, of good attacking talent. Uh, and as you say, we definitely believe that they are doing the right thing in, in terms of, well, you could say doing a bit of a Brentford, right, in terms of packing the squad with, with young assets who can improve with the club, can improve the club on the pitch, but also make them a lot of money. And that's how you, you grow a club in the, in the sort of mid to long term. So an approach that we like, uh, and we've got Hull just above them, George, that's 16th now. Uh, and we didn't really agree on this. I had them a lot lower uh, than you did. It's really difficult and we've kind of left it later than almost anyone who's done 1 to 24 predictions. But you have to do them at some point. And even so, there's still, what is there, eight or nine days until the end of the transfer window. And as we know, a huge percentage of clubs' deals, or some percentage rather, will be done after we record this. So you can drive yourself mad second-guessing transfers in and out. Uh, with Hull, this is a big part of why I'm worried, because I cannot understand why Jared Bowen and or Kamil Grosicki haven't left the club. Uh, I, I certainly expected Grosicki, who put his head down after really wanting to move away by some accounts last summer, put his head down and put in a great, great season. Top-end championship player for me, Grosicki, if not more. I'm, I'm sure there's, there must be interest in him from abroad. He's got international pedigree with Poland. And Bowen, I pretty much think, was the, the best player in the bottom half of the championship last season with a, a fairly unique skill set in terms of being able to score from wide positions. There must be so many teams who he would suit as well. Maybe it's an asking price thing. But I suppose one of my concerns here is that I just, I'm just sure one of them will leave. Uh, and if they do, I'd be really concerned because I think at the moment, because of those guys, they look like they might be perfectly good going forward and probably score quite a lot of goals. But even with those guys, I'm very worried at their defence uh, and I'm worried that they might concede plenty. So while they're there, I think 16th is fine. I guess I'm just a bit concerned if if uh, if they leave. Is there anything that made you feel a bit more confident that I've sort of missed here? Obviously, Grant McCann is the new manager. Well, I think first, yeah, I, I, I put them where I put them on the basis that Bowen and Grzycki are currently in the squad and it's not long to go till the window shuts. Um, there's no denying that if especially Bowen were to leave, that they would drop down. Um, a bit, and worth pointing out that Marcus Henriksen is another player who Hull fans are, are pretty terrified might be moving on as well. Um, who's another good player in centre midfield, their club captain. Um, I'm not a massive fan of Tom Eves, but I think that in Grant McCann, they found a manager who could be pretty perfectly suited to getting the best out of him. Um, I think he's someone to, to eye up in the top goalscorer markets purely because he, when he's fit, he's just going to play every single game for them, playing that that lone striker role. And we saw the the impact that Grant McCann had on John Marquis at Doncaster as well. Got him scoring a lot of goals. And you look at the strikers that, that played for Grant McCann in what wasn't a very good Peterborough team, but again, um, were prolific. So I, I think that whoever does play up top for them will score goals. And we saw, you know, for the, for the second half of last season, Hull were, were fine. I mean, I know it was under a different manager and, and you'll be worried about the personnel, but, you know, 16th 
place position um, is a it's not as good as last season. I mean, it's, it's a drop for them, yeah. marginal. So, um, but as I must say, if, if Grisicki and uh, and and Bowen do leave for the next ten days or so, then then I think relegation could be a could be a worry. Um, a team who, again, I think we feel like this is quite optimistic, but I think their fans are hoping for a bit more. <laughs> do you think in uh, in Millwall? Yeah, I uh, think yeah. I mean, given how close. I'm sure even Millwall fans would accept they were to being dragged into the relegation places towards the back end of last season, uh, a season that finished with some fairly strong words from Neil Harris and some, like, some fairly bad vibes, to be honest, considering you know, a, an impressive few years for the club in general. Um, it, it needed a bit of something this summer, and I've certainly seen plenty to enjoy here. I really like the starting eleven. I think it fits perfectly with the strategy and style that Neil Harris will implement with this Millwall team. And we know that that is a, a, a direct style. They attack uh, out pri- primarily through their wide players, um, but they're not afraid to go long. They do cause problems for vulnerable defences with the amount of balls that they put into the box, with the presence that they put in the box. You know, you mustn't sort of confuse this Millwall team with a direct team and then that, that therefore means that they are a defensive team because I don't believe that at all. I think they have plenty of attacking intent, but I also think that they're very comfortable defending in, in, in two banks of four and, and leaving plenty to go on the counter-attack. And the likes of Jed Wallace um, and, and Mahoney, who they've signed as well, out wide, I think are going to be absolutely de- deadly on the counter-attack. But just like the, the general depth of the squad, I think they've got two players for every single position. And I don't think you know, the players that I might consider to be the reserve players at this stage, I don't think you're losing that much when, when they might swap in through injury or, or fatigue or something. So... I just think I'm feeling good about Millwall. Their performance data last season was very good as well, uh, compared to their league position anyway. Mid-table, we're talking sometimes low, t- low, sort of lower end of the top half. So I, I think they're going to be quite tidy. I think they'll surprise some people. Uh, and I think I felt a bit more strongly about Millwall than you. So let's move on to Swansea, who we have in 14th. This is a team that's really dividing opinion at this stage of the summer. Another team for whom one very major departure in Ollie McBurney could make a huge difference to where we would consider them to, to be likely to finish. Definitely. Um, of the two departures we've already seen, which are manager Graham Potter to, to Brighton and Dan James to Manchester United, there's no doubt in my mind which one is going to hurt Swansea more, and that's Potter. Um, they brought in Steve Cooper, which, I mean, my new thing for this season is in terms of, of, of betting... I'm leaving alone anyone who's got a new manager, basically, just because it's it's a complete unknown. Um, you know, you wouldn't bet on a horse if you had no idea who the jockey was. Um, and with Cooper, he could easily be a fantastic coach. He could be an improvement on Potter. He could be totally out of his depth and out of a job by November. So what we have to take on board, therefore, is that Potter was better than average to the extent that he's one of the first managers we've seen leave a championship club to get a Premier League job in a long, long time. So the chances of Cooper being as good as him are pretty low. They've lost James, who as an impact player was very important, um, and they could still lose McBurney, which would be a blow. Jordan Ayew's moved to Crystal Palace. Again, not much of an issue there at all. Um, but and, and Leroy Fur, another player who, who played a fair bit last season. But again, we, we have to doubt whether, whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, the players that have come in have look average. Jake Bidwell's an okay left back. Ben Wilmot, we don't know very much about. Um, yeah, I mean, it feels like loans are going to be key in the next week or it so. It does, right? but, I mean, and, but and the, as we know, the success rate on those is 
It's, but, well, it's tough to, to hit on all of them. But the tough thing is, is that I had Swansea down, I mean, back in April when I was making a list of teams to kind of keep an eye on next season, Swansea were pretty much number one. But a lot's changed since then. So 14th, I would say personally that if Steve Cooper can steer them to a 14th place finish this season and in doing so maintain the, the, the kind of football that we saw from Swansea last season, attractive passing style, getting the most out of young players like Matt Grimes, um, who seems to be going from strength to strength at the moment and could be a massive asset um, to sell on next summer. Um, I think 14th place would be a job well done. But as with all these things, it probably depends on how they start. If they start really well and then fall back to that position, it's going to be tricky for him. And if they improve as it goes on, he'll be okay. But uh, I'd say at this stage of the season, even though they could easily improve on that, it's very, very difficult to come up with a compelling argument as to why they would. So... We get, we get up to, to uh, 13th position now and uh, Jonathan Woodgate has taken charge of Middlesbrough, um, a team who I remember saying on Talk Sport back in October were a shoo-in for the, uh, the playoff spots under Tony Pulis <laughs> and a lot has changed since then. Um, so I guess we're pretty negative on, on Borough. I mean, I suppose it looks that way, doesn't it? And yet this is one of the teams I'm most excited to watch this season because of the transformation that Woodgate has been sort of tasked with as you mentioned, a rookie manager, but very clear as soon as he's joined that it's an overhaul of, of the whole club's playing style. It's an overhaul of the squad to some extent in terms of getting the age down. And that's been reflected in what little recruitment he's been able to do so far. Uh, the likes of Marcus Brown and uh, Mark Boller as well. 21-year-olds with skill and pace and, and youth crucially, but also in using some of the young players already at the club, uh, the likes of Lewis Wing, who became very important last season, Dale Fry at the back, uh, and giving a few other youngsters a go. So it looks like a negative thing, and I suppose that's reflected in the fact that it's very difficult, I believe, to overhaul um, a, a playing style and a playing squad in such a short period of time, while also maintaining um, good results. And uh, sort of if you add to that the fact that as of time of recording, they have a squad of 18 players, uh, which is pretty small, to be quite honest with you. That is one match day squad uh, of senior players. And within that, there is a decent mix of experience and quality. Like we've seen, you know, some of these guys with Borough for a good few years now. Um, there's going to be people like Ayala and, and uh, Friend and people like that. But there's also a bit of a bit of more youthful quality. I can't wait to see Paddy McNair this season. Brown and Boller down the left. I'm really keen to see Marcus Brown, someone you rate very highly when he's on his game from his time with Oxford on loan last season. And you've still got Asamba Longa and Ashley Fletcher up front. So I think there's plenty for Woodgate to work with in the sense that while he changes the style and while he implements a high press and possession-based system and tries to bring fans back to the Riverside who were bored to tears last season. Um, there's enough for him to work with that I can't see them being really, really poor. But I just imagine they'll be quite inconsistent. I imagine it's going to take them a while to gel. Uh, and with that small squad, there's probably going to be, you know, they're, they're going to be more affected by injury. So uh, I, I just, you know, you talked about it there. With a new manager, especially one we've never seen managed before at senior level, it's hard to know... Well, we just can't know exactly what, what to expect. And so I think 13th for me is a reflection that there's quite a big job for him to do outside of just results, and therefore results might take a bit of a hit. What about Blackburn, George? We've got them in, in 12th. I've seen them tipped as, as dark horses around the place a little bit this week. Um, no big outgoings this summer, but building, it looks like, on what was quite a solid first season back at this level, 
under Tony Mowbray with some experience like Bradley Johnson and Stuart Downing. Uh, and then a lot of pressure resting on the shoulders of striker Sam Gallagher, who they signed for a, a pretty decent fee. Yeah, I think this, this is where we kind of whistle through mid-table um, because the, the key things here for Blackburn is, is who they've kept. Um, they've kept Dak. I think Dak's quiet second half of the season was the best thing that could have happened to Blackburn because it meant he suddenly dropped off the radar of a lot of teams who'd have been watching him. They've kept Lenehan. They've kept, I mean, not that he's particularly under, uh, going to be attracting interest, but they've kept Tony Mowbray, who's a manager that I just think always seems to get more out of his team than you'd expect and is, and is such a solid um, custodian at this level. It's hard to see them improving drastically, I would say. Um, Gallagher's a, a striker who I think anyone relying on him to score a hatful of goals is is probably looking for something there is very little evidence for, really. Um, although he will be an improvement on the likes of Dad, Danny Graham, who've taken on that role before. Um, I'm not a huge fan of Bradley Johnson at this stage, but fine, it's numbers. So I think it's just going to be fairly more of the same, just very solid. In that, they've got uh, they've got a match winner, um, and they haven't lost, except for for, for David Rea, who, who is a loss, and Christian Walton's come in, who I know a few Blackburn Rovers are a bit worried about. I think Walton's a good replacement for Raya, I must admit. Um, I think they might be a bit short at centre-back for my taste. We saw, well, we really rate Lenehan, but when he had a knee injury back end of last season, they really dropped off a cliff defensively. So that would be my main concern with them. But yeah, as you say, uh, uh, we've got them in 12th. Wouldn't be surprised to see them do a little bit better than that, but I, I don't think we're expecting as much as some people seem to. But it's also it's, it's quite a fun array of strikers they've got. Yeah, go on, I mean, talk me through it. We've got Ben Brereton and Adam Armstrong, kind of the, the, the diminutive lads. Well, and our great friend Jay, Blades Analytic, uh, very keen on Adam Armstrong, thinks it could be a proper breakout year for him. And then you've got Sam Gallagher and Danny Graham, who are more of the um, kind of out-and-out striker types, I guess. Dominic Samuel there as well, and Joe Nuttall, who looks to be moving on. But it's still, it's a quite a fun... I mean, not many teams can boast an array of six strikers. I'm very jealous at the moment. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they'll be fine. I mean, it's hard. As I say, under Mowbray, it's hard to see them being any worse. On to a team now who... Normally, we, we predict big things for, so maybe this is a little bit pessimistic for us, but, um, but Alex Neal's Preston in 11th. Yeah, they definitely didn't do as well as we predicted them to do last season. And annoyingly as well, they were a team that you can kind of make some excuses for. Uh, injuries to key players, both to start the season, but also in the second half of the campaign to their star man, Callum Robinson. Um, and that difficult start, making it very hard for them to, to sort of to put together a playoff uh, bid and then a point where it looked like maybe they could, maybe they would uh, before a, a really poor end to the season um, saw them drop away. But I know that amongst their fans, with Callum Robinson having left for Sheffield United, there's a bit of concern, almost a bit of, a bit of anger. I know, that, I know that there's a... Uh, a recognition that the people running Preston ha do have the club's best interests at heart in terms of keeping it running, being sensible and stable. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. But I think I've seen talk of a perceived lack of ambition, certainly from the fans, in the sense that they haven't outwardly replaced or obviously replaced Robinson at this stage. And incomings have been scarce at this stage. And that's the sort of thing that can worry fans when they see other teams making signings. So a bit of a concern from the fan base at this stage. I guess the question is, if they do head into the season without many more additions, are they going backwards by sort of standing still? Because 
we would say they're still a good team there. They're still a very settled team, certainly at the back with the addition of Bauer, a bit more experience uh, to help out Story and Davies, who look really good young centre-backs, but who maybe over the course of a long season struggled at times. Uh, Bauer comes in there and in midfield, it's probably our favourite underrated midfield in the Championship with players like Brown and Pearson and Johnson and Gallagher. So definitely plenty for us to enjoy here, plenty for us to like. I'm fascinated to see how Billy Bowden does. Back fit, you've got Bristol Rovers fans remembering how incredible he was about 18 months ago, uh, coming back from injuries. And if he is fit and raring to go, we've seen flashes in pre-season of him looking like he actually could be the, the replacement for Robinson to some extent. Um, but definitely a concern about goal scorers. Will Jaden Stockley score enough goals? Will Maguire be able to, to stay fit and chip in with a few? I think that's why we've got them at 11th. I don't think it would take much for us to get more excited about Preston, to be quite honest, with one or two attacking additions. Uh, but at this stage, we've just got them at 11th. We think that Alex Neal's a great manager uh, and that they'll be a, a, a pretty good team this season. We've got Derby in 10th. New manager in Philip Koku clearly did a fantastic job with PSV comes into a Derby side that doesn't actually look that similar to how it did about three months ago. <laughs> and how it's rubbish. We've got them in 10th. What does that, what sort of feelings does that represent from us? I think it's all about the manager, this. Um, if I were to listen to someone else doing their, their championship previews and they had Derby down in 18th, 19th, I, I wouldn't be telling them that they're necessarily wrong because the squad looks so thin. I mean, we've spoken so much about Tamori, Mount, Wilson or leaving but it's not just them I mean you've got squad players I mean David Nugent's moved on Craig Bryson's moved on Alex Pierce has moved on Braddy Johnson's moved on um, Luke Thomas of course was on loan last season who I, I'm surprised they sold him because it seems like he'd have been a fantastic replacement um, for for one of those wide men who left so it's difficult but I am still of the mindset that for all of his uh, good PR skills Frank Lampard um, didn't get the best out of that team in terms of actual style and, and quality, despite getting to the playoff final. I think Koku represents quite clearly a, an upgrade in terms of experience and, and I think tactically as well. So, I mean, it's a strange thing to say when you lose your manager for seven million quid to, to Chelsea and bring in someone else, but, but I think they've done pretty well out of that deal. That's the only real deal they've come out of well, because you look at the players they brought in. I'm not a huge fan of Kieran Dowell at all I think this is going to be a very important season for him to show what he can do because he's going to there's going to be a lot of attacking onus on him to create Graham Shinney looks like a decent enough signing from from Aberdeen as well so I think the reason we have them 10th or at least why I have them around there is because I see Koku having a, a pretty transformative um, effect on this squad I think they'll bring in more players as well and um, despite data wise them really struggling last season I think we're going to see a different kind of of Derby, I just have more trust in Koku to get it right than um, Lampard. Again, which sounds for people who haven't listened to this podcast before, they're going to be absolutely miffed about what I'm talking about here. <laughs> but uh, trust me, me and uh, me and Frank go way back. So um, you'll have I, to I'm a little back. concerned. I must admit, they look just looking at the squad as you, you've touched on a few things there. But light at the back, just Keo and and uh, Curtis Davis off the back of missing the whole of last season through injury, and Evans, who I see as more of a central defensive midfield player, but they do try out at the back. Keller Roos finished the season as the goalkeeper, played in the playoff final, had a bit of a howler. Sees, seems like he's still number one, which I would be slightly concerned about. And even someone like Tom Lawrence, who is an automatic starter in this team now off the left, because there aren't that many other options. He's got to do more for me this season. To, you know, I was so excited to see him last season. 
And I just found him to be really actually quite a wasteful part of that Derby side. And I would hope that his output would improve this season. I hope that his decision making uh, improves this season as well. So plenty of pressure on Koku to be good there. What about um, Huddersfield, George? We got them in ninth. They're obviously the lowest of the three relegated Premier League teams. And uh, last week we spoke to someone who knows Huddersfield, Cardiff and Fulham very well. And the, the general consensus seems to be that this is a Huddersfield fan base and board and staff who are not, purposefully not, trying to outwardly predict a, an automatic promotion battle. This feels like a, a club that kind of wants to take a deep breath after that horrendous season and difficult season in the Premiership last season, in the Premier League, I should say. And, um, and so outwardly, the ambitions seem fairly low. But to be fair, to my eyes, they've got a, a, a very tidy starting eleven on paper, uh, a good back four, albeit without that much senior depth, I should say. Um, at the stage of recording, Aaron Moy is still very much a Huddersfield player, and I think he might start the season as such. Uh, Janino Bakuna, they rave about. I'm excited to see uh, Brown, who came from Forest Green, who we bigged up big time in, in League Two terms last season, and Hogg, who we know to be a very steady um, player at the base of midfield. They've got a load, a ton of, of wing options, uh, and I must admit, I, a lot of them I don't particularly know what to expect from, but they're not going to lack options. Uh, and then Carlin Grant through the middle, who I think we both feel could be genuinely quite deadly this season. So there's still clearly the fact that we have the ninth after what I've said is a reflection that A, they appear to be sort of wanting to ease back into things. They don't want to try and, and upset the apple cart too early. Um, but also in, in Jan Sievert, someone that you just don't feel we can sort of Assess him yet? Assess him. No. And, and remember, this is Huddersfield. You know, there's no, not to be in any way patronising, but there's no desperate need to get back to Premier League straight away. I mean, it was their first promotion to that level. We were pretty derided when we had them only a couple of spots higher that season when they did go up. Um, it, it's, there's a similarity with Swansea here where I think it's a new manager, it's a young squad. They just need to take stock and, and, and go again because since David Wagner left the club, it's been it's been a, a slide, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, I think I think ninth would be a good job well done and a good platform on which to build. Uh, in eighth, we've got Nottingham Forest. Uh, and it feels like if we could just turn back time to this time last year and, and played our Nottingham Forest prediction again, um, it probably wouldn't sound too, dis too different. We've got a fan base who are very confident of big things, um, a new manager in the door as well. Um, I think we can both agree that... that Martin O'Neill leaving the club mid-summer has, has got to be a good thing. We don't know much about Lamucci, but from what we've been told about his time in France, he's, he's got good calibre. Um, I mean, before I... I think you were a little bit higher on them than I was, so just before I, I throw it over to you, um, my concerns lie in, in some fairly ropey signings before... Um, I mean, I think Albert Adoma and Sami Amiobia are not the signings that a team look to strengthen with um, to go forward and with the likes of Thiago Silva, uh, Yuri Ribeiro, Alfa Semedo, it's impossible to know what's to come from these three guys from, from, from Portugal. Well, all, all I could tell was that last season, the players that came in um, were not of a similar standard to what we, we thought we were going to get. Well, I think it's a similar story to last summer because we both still believe, and I know that the Forest fan base think even more so, that Joao Carvalho could be a, a fantastic player and someone who... 
you know, should almost have this team built around him, such are his qualities in that number 10 role. Uh, but the other two that came were certainly not that. And I feel like it might be similar this year. From what we know from speaking to some Portuguese football experts, there's actually a lot of excitement around Thiago Silva. He was one of the best players in the Portuguese top flight last season, despite playing for a team that got relegated. And there was a lot of surprise that one of the big teams didn't pick him up. So I'm excited to see him, 26-year-old attacking midfield player. Some question marks as to whether him and Carvalho might be able to fit in the same team, but either way. Um, and, and the other two, there are definitely some larger question marks over it. And, and the guys that we spoke to weren't quite so sure why they were, they were coming over to Forest. But look, when you look at the squad, I think it's the biggest in the division. There are just so many players here. And they range from genuine potential stars of the league. And I think this is why I had them quite high. Uh, 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 basically, a group of players in Thiago Silva, Joao Carvalho, Joe Lolly, uh, and Lewis Graben, who I think could be, in their own roles, some of the best players in the division. So if Lamucci can succeed in putting together a solid defence from what is a pretty solid group of fairly experienced individuals... Um, and plenty of options. Again, the centre-back depth, you've got Dawson, Heffler, Ben Aluan, Milosevic, Figueiredo and Worrell. Um, the full-back options are, are not the most exciting, but I kind of feel like there's a possibility that with, if you can get the most out of those stars, they could be really, really good. The fact that we've got them outside of the playoff places is probably a reflection of the fact that, again, that's, that is an if we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how good Lamucci's going to be. We don't know if he can make sense of, of this bloated squad in a way that O'Neill and Karanka seem to struggle to do so. But we hope that he can because there's plenty of talent to unlock there. Just outside the playoff places, George, we've got Bristol City in seventh. And I hope you don't mind me sharing what you said yesterday when I said Bristol City playoff team. And you said, I don't really get the hype here. Don't really get the hype. You're not as convinced. No. <laughs> uh, I think a seventh place fit. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of people predicting them for promotion and a cert for the playoffs. And there seems to be a lot of bluster about what is effectively continuity. I mean, I completely get the Thomas Callas and Jada Silva are, are, are coups to bring in on full-time deals. There's no denying that. I mean, and the Silva's going to improve. Um, Callas was fantastic there last season and can continue his good partnership with, with Webster as well. So there's quite clearly been um, an improvement there. You look at the other players they brought in. I mean, Daniel Bentley, I think most Brentford fans will tell you that they are fairly relieved to, to, to see the back of him. Um, despite his undeniable potential, age 25, he's got a big future ahead of him, you'd have thought. Just needs to iron out some mistakes. Um, Tommy Rowe and Sammy Smodix, it's, you know, they're, they're stepping up a level here. I mean, Smodix especially, big things are expected of him. He's been a League Two player for the last couple of campaigns. He's immensely talented, but it's hard to put pressure on this guy to help a team get promoted into the Premier League immediately. Um, I just don't really... It, it, it's a continuation of, of what was last season's team, where they did very well, flirted with the playoffs, missed out, and then the data dropped off massively in the second half of last season. Um, Lloyd Kelly's obviously moved on to Bournemouth, a, a very talented young player, but Silva coming in should, should soften that blow. I just, I, I can't work out where the improvement comes from. Lee Johnson is a manager who um, is quite clearly very talented and a good coach who's got them to this position, but the constant uh, bad spells continue to persist with his teams 
every single time. I don't see any reason why that's going to change again here. Um, they won one of their last six games was the back end of last season when they were trying to get get, get promotion. They still haven't brought in a striker. They're still relying on, on Gigi and Taylor. At the moment, they're only two out-and-out strikers. Vyman. And Vyman, I, they, they seem to... I think, again, just like last season, if they can get themselves into the playoffs, it's a really, really good effort. And I think to predict them to come higher than seventh, which is what I think seventh, you know, that suggests they're going to do the same as last season and just fall short. I, I don't see any reason for that to change. I think they will. I believe in, in Johnson to improve them. And I, I mean, I like the fact that we called him Streaky Lee Johnson for a few years and then he ended up using it in an interview himself last season. But I guess I, I, I do believe ultimately that those streaks could be sort of reduced to some extent. Hopefully not the winning spells, but certainly the, the, the spells of defeats and the spells of picking up points. Well, because it just seems like a random thing for one manager to have like a real penchant for just sacking off a whole month and then a real penchant for being like Pep Guardiola for it, a whole it month. It won't be that's what he wants. It'll just be a case of seemingly being unable to lift players during, during sticky spells, which is, you know, it's just a character trait. It's a managerial trait that he's, he's got. I think that... Eliasson is going to have a big year this year, the young Swedish winger, so watch out for him. A lot of talk of them, and you touched on it there about them needing a a 20-goal-a-season striker. That's always basically the case for about 50% of teams at this stage of the season. I think Jeju could get a lot closer than he has done in previous seasons. I think he's got 13 league goals in the last two campaigns. Uh, if he does lead the line, I think I, I could see him scoring 20 goals, maybe not being top scorer in the division, but certainly good enough. So I, I do see them as a, as a playoff team. But in making our compromises, uh, they missed out because in sixth, and uh, a, a big one for you this, I guess, based on some of their transfer business in the last week as well, West Bromwich Albion we've got in sixth under Slaven Bilic. Yeah. I mean, just if people would do agree with Ali, I should point out that Bristol City are nine to four. Uh, for a top six finish with Fitzstairs. So if you want to support the man to my left, that's the way of doing it. Uh, West Brom, this team, are 10 to 11, so odds on for a top six finish. And if you told me that I'd be fighting for this, to put them in that top six a couple of months ago, or even a month ago, I'd have been pretty surprised. Um, but there is one key signing here that I am going to call right now the signing of the summer, uh, and, that yeah. is, and that is Romain Sawyers. Um, not necessarily purely because of Sawyers as a player, although I do really like him, um, he's someone at Brentford who's made them tick. Um, and I would say when Brentford have been at their best, he's been pretty much the top of the pile. Um, a really progressive midfielder, moves the ball with such ease through midfield, um, very tidy, very skillful. He's got good feet. He's just a, a fantastic player. And I think if he'd gone to most other teams in the league, it would have been a fine signing. But I think he is so perfect for what West Brom needed. We saw them so often last season, so stale in possession. There was that stat that went around the whole time talking about how their their uh, their points per game ratio, depending on when they had over or under 50% possession, changed so much because when they had more of the ball, they just had no one who could do anything with it. You saw Chris Brunt trying to play that kind of centre midfield progressive passing role, which he just wasn't very good at at all. And Jake Livermore couldn't do it. Raheem Harper is a player with a big future. But again, He's not particularly a ball player. Sam Field the same. So they might have two now with uh, Krovinovic as well. I'm not going to pretend to know much about him, but um, I just think Sawyer's is, is going to be transformative, and he's got a manager in Slaven Bilic that will, um, I think, look to, to to play around him. There are quite clearly concerns and holes in the squad. I mean, Kenneth Sahoy has been brought in um, up front. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of his, but he threatened to do some good things with Cardiff a couple of years ago, and it's worth just noting that. 
we were fairly down on West Brom for the whole of last season and they've lost Jay Rodriguez and they've lost Dwight Gale, which are huge losses, but they still ended up on 80 points. They still ended up just three points behind Leeds. So that the core of that squad, the likes of Hegazi, the likes of Barkley, the likes of Gibbs, the likes of Livermore, Brunt, these guys were still integral to a team who, who picked up points and were hard to break down. Um, Semi Ajayi's come in uh, as well from Rotherham, who's, who's a really exciting talent who will progress, I'm sure. Um, Bilic, it's, it's always hard with managers who come with a high reputation who've never managed at this level before because you don't know if, it's, if they are actually a cut above as a coach or a manager, so I'm not really sure. But there's enough there for me to think that, that this West Brom squad will still maintain a certain degree of, um, of dominance over certain teams. And, and as I say, I think Sawyers is just a, a really good signing, perfect for this, uh, for this team. One team who we do think is going to make a big jump up the league is the team that we predicted to be first last season <laughs> and ended up languishing in mid-table, and that's Stoke City. I'm still recovering from being burned by Stoke exactly one year ago. They finished 16th after we predicted them to win the title, and that was pretty embarrassing for us, I must say, given how well we did in the other divisions at predicting the, the winners and the top teams. That was a disaster. Uh, look, this Stoke team are very different a year on. They have Nathan Jones in charge, and he had a bit of time, uh, some good time really, towards the back end of last season to get his feet under the table, to experiment, to learn about his players in a, a fairly sort of stress-free environment, an environment where results were not the, the key, were not the, the sort of most important thing. Now, that changes now because there's plenty expected of them this season, uh, but I think the time that he had has done him good. Uh, reports from pre-season are that of fluid football, uh, pressing, a diamond formation, and I'm just thinking this is going to look a bit like Luton from last year's League One, but in the Championship. Uh, concerns, well, there are still a, a few key players who to my eyes, don't have an obvious fit in this system. Uh, I note that James McLean is now a left-back. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if Tom Ince fits the number 10 role at the point of the diamond that well, uh, but he hasn't really got anywhere else to play in the system. Um, the defensive XG numbers towards the end of last season were absolutely immense. They were just shutting whole games down. So if they can do that and also improve immensely, they'll need to on their attacking numbers. With the likes of Nick Powell in that number 10 spot, uh, Vokes has been joined by uh, Gregory from Stoke, uh, from Millwall, I should say. So I think there's a bit more firepower there now. Um, and yeah, I just it looks like a squad with a lot of options on paper. It's a, a manager that we've seen work wonders in his last job, and a lot depends on on him, of course, because his personality and his leadership are so important. But they are also quite extreme, Nathan Jones. And it's certainly the type of character and personality that can put people's noses out of joint if things don't go well. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. A lot will depend on how happy the camp is, how happy he is with the makeup of the squad and how much everyone is, is sort of buying into things. But they did a lot of business early on in the window and I, I can see them starting very strongly and we'll see where they go from there. We've got Fulham in fourth, George. Now, this is a really tough one, wasn't it? Because... It was kind of easy to be blinded by some signings in the last few weeks, Cavalero and Nokar especially. And that front four of Cavalero, Mitrovic, Nokar, Kearney, I mean, it just sounds unbelievable. You're, you know, you're, you're almost daydreaming next to me at the, at the thought of how many goals they might score. Uh, but the fact that we've got them in fourth means that we sort of snapped out of it uh, and, and we're not convinced that they're just necessarily a lock for top two. No. I mean, you, you have to firstly 
acknowledged the fact that they were terrible last season. Um, and that's important. I know that a lot of the Deadwood has moved on. Um, you know, the ill-fated signings of, of Ryan Barbel and Andre Scherler and Jean Serry have all moved on after one year. And But a lot of these players were still at the club then. I mean, you talk about Knockhart and Cavallero. Knockhart's a player that I absolutely adore. Um, Cavallero, I think, will, will be a really impressive signing as well. Having those three, having that three-pronged attack with, with Kenny behind does sound fantastic. But one concern here and one reason why I can't put them higher than fourth is, is because you're, you're relying again on a guy in Scott Parker who we have no idea if he's a capable manager or not you think of this Fulham team that came uh, that came third and went up through the playoffs and they had in Slavisa Kanovic I would argue one of the best championship managers we've seen in the last 10 years where he had two teams who played fantastic football and got promoted to the Premier League he had this Watford team and then he had this team and you're relying on Scott Parker in his first managerial job, having the nous to turn this into something effective. Um, and there are still some concerns over certain areas of the pitch. I'm still not convinced by the defence necessarily. Mawson has had a torrid year. He's now injured. Maxime Le Marchand, we, I haven't seen much to, to evidence that he's up to the task. Um, Tim Ream was meant to be kind of deputising at this stage, but it looks like he may have to come in now. So I think fourth is... A fair assessment of where they are. It would be no shock if they went and won the league. Let's let's be frank about that because the qualities they have at their disposal. Because Parker may turn out to be a, a very wily coach and a very clever one, but but at this stage, I think it's hard to be more positive than that. And Fulham fans who are currently angry about us putting them in fourth are going to be even more devastated when they realise who we haven't even spoken about yet in third position. Yeah, Brentford FC. I think we had them third last year. And they let us down to some extent. But, you know, that's the sort of thing that we do have a bit of a reputation for being too high on Brentford. And maybe that's true. Don't care. Maybe it's a weakness of ours. But neither of us care. And both of us believe that at some point this team's going to get it right. I also kind of think whenever someone laughs at us for it, I do wonder, like, if you go, if you support a championship team and you've been to watch them uh, home and away over the last few years... Surely you've seen the development of Brentford as well. They probably went from a team that you thought, oh, we can beat this team easily, it's a small team and we don't know any of their players. You probably, when you now see them, think, even, you know, even if your team's beaten them, you probably think, that's a, that's a very tidy team. They've, they've, they've certainly got some potential, got some star players. So I think that's kind of the key. Um, last season, in terms of the underlying numbers, they were very good at the start of the season, very good in the last third of the season and had that memorable sticky patch midway through. Um, quite easy explanations for that, including the fact that their manager, Dean Smith, got poached by Aston Villa. They had a really tough time off the pitch with the death of a, a key staff member, a member in Robert Rowan. And Thomas Frank did unbelievably well to come out the other side of what was a really difficult spell when he first took charge, where they couldn't buy a win. And I really like Frank. I think that he has been able to show flexibility. He changed the system and improved the team. That was a team that had kind of played the same way for years and years. Um, he is much more concerned with defensive solidity and that side of the game. Talks about it all the time, and I think that is one clear way of improving this team. Uh, he has recruited well in that sense, bringing in Pontus Janssen and Ethan Pinnock surely makes them stronger at the back. Uh, and Raya in for Bentley as well. I think we'll drop fewer clangers, that's for sure. Um, they have lost Sawyers. He's got big shoes to fill, and Jensen is the man with it. Matthias Jensen, who, again, comes very highly rated from Denmark. 
has had a bit of a tough spell uh, uh, abroad and now comes in to create their chances basically from the central midfield. Norgard at the base uh, for a bit of uh, strength, for a bit of class. Uh, and I, I do think it's almost the perfect looking squad if Mopai stays. And of course, that's a big elephant in the room. We spoke a few pods ago about how you know we would trust Bees to, to have a replacement lined up and to be able to get that over the line pretty swiftly if he does go. But of course, it's going to derail things to start the season. Of course, it's going to stop the, the fairly good vibes that you're seeing around the club. And of course, with Brentford, it's always on the cards as well because they will accept good prices for their key players. So... You know, in a week's time, Morpai might have left, Ben Rama might have left, and you know, we might be looking at a team that could be just outside the playoffs again. But ultimately, we think there's a, a really good base here, and we do think that this is a season where if Bees can, can hold things together, keep their manager, keep some of their players, then they'll be right up there. Uh, we've got Cardiff in second spot. This would be an immediate return to the Premier League, where they'd spent just one year, having come second to Wolves the year before. Uh, I would suggest that this was... Elick led this one. So talk us through Cardiff's immediate return to the Prem. In my own notes, I've just written they're not going to concede any goals. <laughs> uh, again, it's, it's following a, a manager trend. I, I think that Neil Warnock is, is just such a savvy operator. Um, the squad hasn't changed massively since they finished very, very close up behind Wolves. Improved, probably. Probably has improved. You look at their defensive options. I mean, just even at centre-back, you've got Sean Morrison and Sol Bamba still there. Curtis Nelson brought in from Oxford. He'll be more than able understudy Aidan Flint who's come in as well after a disappointing goal scoring campaign last season I'm sure he'll be back amongst it uh, this time round um, and very very solid um, fullbacks as well Volks has come in from Rotherham who's a signing I really really like um, they're just they're just going to be functional they're going to be hard to break down um, I think there's a bit of a weakness up top they, they probably need to re replace Sahore, but I'm sure that they will. Well, I mean, last time, their top scorer at this level, I think, was Callum Patterson, and he didn't score very many. So maybe... Give it to Pat. Maybe not having a prolific goal scorer you know, wouldn't affect them because they've, they've got other ways of scoring. And anyway, I think it's clear that they're looking for a, a number nine and a, a bit, bit more of a target, shall we say. Yeah. But Bobby Reid scored a lot of goals for Bristol he City, did. didn't he? Sort of sweeping up behind Jeju. Yeah. So if they can get someone to, to do the to do the tough stuff up top. Reed could be could be poaching plenty. And, and possibly, I mean, after his 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 role in Sheffield uh, United's promotion last season, could there be a return for Gary Medine into the fold as well as Zahoy's replacement? Um, you know, he's been playing for them um, in pre-season. I think he's picked up an injury, but at the same time, you know, he, he could come into it. So I think it's very, very hard. It's, it's basically impossible to me to see them um, not being functional. And they got promotion last time they were functional. And that Wolves team was a, was a pretty good one, as we know, and, and they weren't far behind. So Cardiff in its second. And that, if you have been paying attention, leaves a team at the top who I think we, we didn't expect to be talking about um, in our 1-24s, um, probably back in February or March. But here we are. Oh, I see what you mean. It's Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds. Yes, we thought they would be a Premier League team. And we are glad that they aren't because we get to cover them uh, and crucially, we get to cover Marcelo Bielsa, and I would suggest that he is the main reason for them being at the top of our 1-24 to predictions for the championship. Bielsa is quite simply a sensational manager, a manager that makes his players better, a manager that has implemented a system that made the team significantly better, that turned this team into a team that dominated the majority of their games at championship level last season. The fact that they didn't get automatically promoted behind two exceptional teams in Norwich and Sheffield United 
doesn't make them any less impressive. Uh, and fairly straightforward reasons, I would suggest, for uh, why they, they didn't go up. Uh, essentially, a bit of bad luck, a, bit of, a lot of bad finishing, uh, and maybe an, a sort of suboptimal temperament in uh, some very key moments in big games, notably against Sheffield United, Norwich, and in the playoffs against Derby. But I've said it before this summer, live by Bielsa, die by Bielsa. They've only lost one major contributor, that's Pontus Janssen. And it's an area of concern because Ben White comes in on loan from Brighton, young defender, highly rated, but without too much football at this level behind him. Uh, big shoes to fill, of course. And, but at the top end of the pitch, Helder Costa, lessening the load on Pablo Hernandez can only be a good thing. What a fantastic player. I personally still believe in Patrick Bamford. I think that he can score 20 goals for this Leeds team this season. I think that Roof, if he can get back fit, could do the same. Um, and although they look one, maybe two centre-backs light in terms of depth, I just, I just trust in him, basically. I think that they looked light in one or two areas all of last season and it didn't seem to matter. Yeah. And they completely dominated every single performance metric under the sun of the whole of last season. Streets clear of everyone else. Um, I agree with you that uh, as long as Bielsa's there... I'm all in on Leeds. Um, I've heard he's been experimenting with the 3-3-1-3 that we saw him play with Chile <laughs> in that World Cup once. And once he whips that out, you know it's over. Well, what to do when you lose a centre-back? Have one less centre-back. <laughs> uh, just running through Fitzdez's prices for what we've spoken about there. Leeds are the 17-4 favourites to win the championship this season. They are our number ones as well. Uh, next up, Fulham 13-2, West Brom 10-1, Cardiff 10-1. Cardiff we had in second place uh, and you can back them to win promotion at three to one. And in terms of the top six, our top six, Brentford are nine to five, Fulham four to five, Stoke seven to five, West Brom 10 to 11. And uh, the second place we had Cardiff at 10 to 11. Thank you very much to Fitstairs for sponsoring this podcast and the League One and League Two ones. Make sure you go to www.fitstairs.com. Uh, F-I-T-Z-D-A-R-E-S. We'll also tweet a link to the site as well. And thank you for listening to our 1-24 to predictions for the championship, which begins this weekend. We cannot wait. We're sure that there's plenty that you disagree with. We hope that there's plenty that you agree with, and we hope that you have respected our opinions. If not, tweet us at NTT20pod. We'd absolutely love to hear from you, and we'd also love it if you listened to the League 1 and League 2 versions, which have been released at the same time, you'll find them wherever you found this pod. Thanks so much for listening. Please stay with us, with us throughout the season. Subscribe to Not The Top 20 podcast. We will be doing two podcasts a week, as we did last season. And we hope that you will join us for another fantastic campaign across the EFL.